and went in and changed your military medical records, what would you do? Welcome to Carry On Podcast. This is your host, Lindsay Rowland. Today, we are starting a two-part series with Adam Dorito because this story is too bizarre to do it in one show. And you have to hear the whole story in its entirety to wrap your mind around it. So this is part one. Adam was a member of the class of 2010 at the United States Air Force Academy, where he served as an informant for the Air Force Office of Special Investigations. Dorito informed on various cases of sexual assault at the Academy, among other things, and would later be expelled from the Academy right before graduation after being accused of fraternization. In this series, we're going to get Adam's side of the story, discuss his pending case in the 10th Circuit Court, and propose potential legislation to prevent, on, to prevent an equally important topic here, military medical record fraud. Adam Dorito currently serves as a paratrooper in the Colorado Army National Guard, and he recently started an investigative podcast series on the United States Air Force Academy called Dark Saber. We at Carry On Podcast are always excited and supportive of anything with the word investigative in it. It's always important to get both sides of the story before making judgments. Thank you, Adam, for being here today. Thank you, Lindsay. It's a pleasure to be here. We are excited to have you. All right. Before we go into your story, um, I would like to know what your current situation is uh, with your case, with your daily job, with Army Reserves, et cetera. And what is the latest on you? Um, I want our listeners to hear first the most up to date information, and then we will go back to the full story. Sure. So currently where it sits now, actually, it just happened this morning. Uh, the 10th District Court of Appeals uh, granted the Air Force um, a dismissal as of right now, uh, stating that the issue of medical records and having them reviewed and changed is a military matter. However, they did agree of our main argument was that their, uh, the falsification of a military member's medical records is a constitutional rights violation. So they, agree, so they did agree that changing medical records is a violation of a citizen's constitutional rights. Um, and their argument, though, is that we have to go back again. This would be, I don't even know, fifth or sixth time to go back to the Air Force Board of Corrections and Military Records to actually have them changed from the records that they falsified again. Um, and we'll, we'll talk more about how it even got there, because as most people in the military know, any type of board that they go to, whether it's in the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, it is a very rare event that you win corrections board. If it's only 6% apply to a military board actually when I'm in that 6%. <laughs> so um, we do believe that the foundations of the case are solid. And we are hoping, like you mentioned before, to actually change um, the laws and legislation that would allow 10th district court to rule on it and take it out of the military's hands. I think that's the overreaching theme of this is that the military has too much power. It violates the constitutional right of its members, and it constantly uses its sovereign immunity plea to state that they don't basically have to follow the laws of this country and they can do whatever they want. So. And so you saying that they agreed with you that medical records should not be changed. It sounds silly, but that's actually huge, right? That they acknowledge that that is, that should not be happening. It is. I think even though it's not an outright win because we were not given justice, like I was not, um, 
you know, back paid or anything else or, you know, from this entire case. However, there is now established case precedent as of eight o'clock this morning that they that the uh, court system in the United States does believe that the falsification of medical records is a constitutional rights violation. So this is something that uh, future members of the military can actually use um, if they are retaliated against um, with their medical records. So this is for me, it's a 50 50. I think it was a big win um, in terms of setting some type of precedent in the law that can be used in the future. Uh, but it's not a full win because I was never um, given justice for what actually happened to me in this 10 year fight. So, well, what will be the next step? So the next step right now is we actually have to go back again to the Air Force Board of Corrections and Military Records and say that we need you to follow your own directive and change the records from what the Air Force changed. And that sounds ridiculous, but we have to do it again. And basically, the court said, if we exhaust that administrative relief again, then we're allowed to refile in the court system. So. Um, they're just basically putting it back in the military's hands, trying to use administrative review as a reason to delay the case even further. Uh, it's all about time. I mean, this is the, the core strategy of the Air Force and the Air Force Academy in any of these cases is to run them out of time and money. That is the sole purpose. And that's one of the reasons I haven't given up uh, is because I'm the only one who's ever gotten this far ever uh, against the service academy in the history of the United States. And I really do believe that this is an important issue because if I don't change the law, who else is going to spend another 10 years of their life trying to go up against the academies or the military in general? And I think we're in an environment right now in the United States um, where it's very possible that we might be able to get some legislation passed utilizing members of Congress in order to hold the military more accountable. I think the biggest overreaching thing I've seen in the past decade is pretty much since the global war on terror started after 9 11 um, is that. Uh, the military has been basically given free reign. They've been given an, a, a blank check. And everyone says, if you go against the military, you're just unpatriotic. And no one is holding any of the military leaders accountable. We have seen this with the Me Too movement, the Military Justice Improvement Act movement, is that this is a systemic uh, abuse of power by commanding generals. And no one has ever brought them into court and held them accountable. And I think it's time for that to happen. Uh, the military serves the people. Uh, their only role is to protect the Constitution of the United States and those who are protected by those rights. And right now, I think they've just been given a free run and they're now violating the rights of multiple military members, not only myself, when it comes to their constitutional rights. And I, I believe enough is enough. So. Um, well, first off, congratulations on the progress that you made. Second, I do agree with you that it kind of falls in line with the sexual assault and the suicide issue in the military where no one's really held accountable. The Army as a as a huge entity is held accountable, but nobody personally is. And it's time for those things to change. So I commend you for that. Um, before we get started on the beginning of the story, I did want to talk a little bit about your podcast. Um, how did you get it started and what are you guys talking about on it? Great. So. It actually was kind of an interesting way how it started. So back last June, uh, the 10th District Court mandated mediation between myself and the Air Force, which also never happens. So we sat through mediation for four hours and they refused to negotiate on any terms. Um, even the federal judges kind of recognized like, hey, Dorito has a lot of um, evidence on this that, <laughs> you know, you guys did mess with his records. Maybe you guys should settle this and take this out of court. 
they refused to settle. So after that, we decided we weren't going to play nice anymore. We've been trying to keep this on the down low, so to speak, and keep it quiet, respect the military and its high-ranking officers. And after that, uh, we decided to try to do more media and try to get the message out to the public. Uh, how it started was I reached out to Andy Stump. Andy Stump is a pretty big podcaster. He's friends with Joe Rogan and Jocko Willenick. And I sent them a random email telling them kind of my story. And he actually emailed me back and invited me on the show. So when I went on the Andy Stump podcast last August, I told my whole story for the first time ever publicly. And, you know, wasn't the greatest podcast. I've gotten better at it over the, over the past year. You know what I mean? Telling my story. Um, but it caused a lot of stirring in, in the military. And soon enough, we started a website, www.adamdorito.com. And I was, I was reached out to by Captain Aaron Scanlon. Aaron Scanlon is also a military uh, sexual assault survivor. And she is works on the advocacy side now. And she actually asked me if I would be interested in talking to her about my case. Uh, once we'd started talking, she said she knew an, a gentleman by the name of John Staley in Arizona. John Staley is also an Army veteran, and he has a media company, the Honor Hill Veterans Media Group. And both of them pretty much reached out to me and said, hey, I think we should start a podcast on your case. Because a lot of the criticisms I got from my, you know, trying to tell my story in two and a half hours is still not enough time. I mean, this is a 10-year battle. So a lot of the criticisms we got from Andy's podcast was like, well, I think there's more to the story. And, you know, there, there's got to be more reasons of why this happened. So we decided to do a deep dive investigative series called Dark Saber. And I came up with the name because I was actually looking at my Academy sword hanging on the wall in my garage. And, you know, what it stands for, it, it means a lot in, in the Air Force Academy community. But, you know, when it's when it's sheep, it's hidden in the dark and it's not really exposed to the truth and justice of what the Academy really does stand for, you know, I have nothing against the Academy. It was my dream school, you know, but I think we need to, you know, bring the truth to light, so to speak. And that's kind of how I came up with that really corny name. Um, and it works, but we started telling the story of my case. And what we realized is that I am not the only one that this is happening to. And then I come to find out that this is actually currently happening right now at the Air Force Academy. Uh, we I did over 40 hours of interviews for season one, which is still publishing. We haven't published all the episodes yet. And it was absolutely heart wrenching listening to these cadets tell how they have been sexually assaulted, raped, harassed, retaliated against. And no one cares. These commanding generals right now, um, they really are out to benefit themselves, especially the commandant. Right now, she has is not well liked. She's going to be replaced this summer. But I mean, I had female cadets tell me how this commandant refused to even remove some of these um, offenders out of the academy. And they're now commissioning in our military. So this is very much reminiscent of uh, a protectionist ideal at the academy. And a lot of these offenders, at least the ones I dealt with in my case, were NCAA athletes. Um, so there's a protectionist culture of NCAA division one sports, not only at the air force Academy, but West point Annapolis and everything else. And uh, I believe in the past 20 years, since the global war on terror has started the prior, especially after the Fowler commission in 03. So there was a big rape scandal at the Academy in 2003 and something called the Fowler commission. The Fowler commission basically came in and fired everybody and said, we're going to start the Sapper program and the SARC program, uh, sexual assault response coordination center, all these things. And I mean, well, I went there in 2006. So the first, 
when they first started recording these numbers of sexual assault, the first publicly available numbers were 2006 because the commission finished their findings in 2003. So I've been collecting this data for over 10 years now and nothing has changed. Absolutely nothing has changed since it was mandated that the military track these assaults and try to implement programs to protect people. But now it's gotten even worse. And I believe one of the reasons it's getting worse is dating apps, social media, technology has changed the dating game for cadets at the Air Force Academy, whatever else, or access to people and talking. And uh, right now, like they're going through major issues where they're basically being silenced. And if they retaliate and if they talk about it, if they report their cases, uh, very similar things what happened to me happen. They get sent to mental health. Oh, you're stressed out. Oh, now you have PTSD. Now you have to take meds. Well, now you're not commissionable. Now you lost your pilot slot. So these kids who are getting sexually assaulted and raped are getting forced to mental health. And then mental health is taking away their dreams and silencing them. You yeah. Know? I heard that on, well, I think it's podcast near an episode, maybe three or four. Uh, someone talks about that, how there, there's a fear of going to mental health just in general at the Academy. I mean, which is probably, which is probably military wide. But I would imagine like at the academy, because you, it's so intense and you live there full time, that mental health, your mental health may suffer a little bit more. Absolutely. And especially with the coronavirus pandemic, those cadets are basically been placed in prison for the past year almost. I mean, they have been uh, talking to me constantly, basically saying the only people we were allowed to interact with for the longest time was just our roommate. You know what I mean? Yes. So, so these these cadets, I mean, are basically placed in the cells in their own rooms and they couldn't interact mm-hmm. and they couldn't even walk a hundred yards to school. They had to sit in the rooms and take online class. And, you know, I mean, let's be a hundred percent honest about the college population. Between the ages of 18 and 22, uh, your hormones are blasting everywhere. You're in an alpha male, you know, lots of sharks in a tiny fish tank type environment. And in my opinion, from all the interviews I did, sexual assaults have skyrocketed at the military academies due to COVID because these kids have no stress relief. They can't go anywhere um, and they can't do anything about it. And if they try to do anything about it, they're punished even more, which is, I I don't know how much more you can make it worse by sitting in your room even more. Um, And it's, it's not a healthy environment. And these are going to be our future officers. And that's what scares me is the fact that they have no social skills, no emotional outlets, no way of dealing with stress. And these are now the people that are theoretically going to be placed in charge of our airmen, soldiers, Marines, and sailors, and they have no leadership skills. It's kind of hard to develop military leadership skills sitting in a room, staring at your computer while you're either committing or receiving sexual assault. <laughs> it's I don't know what the, our future officers are, are going to be like. Um, I have a lot of faith, especially in some of the kids I interviewed, um, the ones who did want to speak. I think they're great people, but uh, I believe the $400,000 per cadet tax bill taxpayers are paying to send these kids to the academies is not being well utilized at all. Well, and to go back to your point on uh, leadership in general. So when they are, we'll call it released into active duty. Um, and we know that there's a huge problem with sexual assault anyways in the military right now. I mean, we have what the, the drill sergeant case is at Fort Sill or for, I can't remember anymore. There's so many of them. And then we have Fort Hood going on. I mean, it just never stops. So I really think that leadership um, in the realm of sexual assault is going to be very important and very paramount in the next, well, let's say 10 years while we clean this mess up. Absolutely. I mean, I think the biggest concern is we are, there is no, accountability between these officers and these perpetrators. 
I mean, if you commit sexual assault or rape in the civilian world, I mean, you're probably going to get a 10 year prison sentence, you know, hopefully. Um, and the military, especially at the Air Force Academy, what I've seen, they just kick you out of the military and send you on your way. And you're a convicted sex offender. Um, in my case, uh, one of the people I was investigating went on to go play for a different uh, Division One school. And like literally within three months of being convicted of being a convicted sex offender, because there's no rules in the NCAA or the NFL stating that you can't play if you are a convicted sex offender. That's actually allowed, um, which is also insane. But, you know, there's no accountability. And if there's no accountability and they're getting away with it at the academies, they're just repeat offenders. They continue that culture in their commission life. Uh, they allow this culture to exist in the military and you know, they keep getting promoted. They get keep getting moved up to positions of power and they keep getting away with it. So if they keep getting away with it and no one's holding them accountable, well, that culture is never going to go away. And I think that's the biggest crossroads we're at in the military now is um, I can't, I honestly can't name any case in the past 10 years that I've looked into, including mine, where any victim or survivor has received any type of actual justice. It, it's never happened. And these people are in positions of power in the Pentagon now. Uh, they are the leaders in, you know, major companies, CEOs. Uh, they and the biggest part problem what I have with them in, in D.C. is the contractor realm. A lot of these academy grads who perpetuate a culture of sexual assault and harassment are now in charge of handling billions of taxpayer dollars uh, in different whether it's AFWorks, different types of funding. So they're paying themselves with all their friends as academy grads to still work contracting for the military. And they're never going to bite the hand that feeds them. That's the problem. So. If they're making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in salary, you know, like uh, Lieutenant General Michael Gould, for example, um, he was the guy involved in my case. I mean, he makes a six figure salary and works for the Association of Graduates now, and he's perpetuating this culture continuously for the past 10 years. So it's um, the problem is the money and we need to follow the money, go after the money, hold these people accountable and these organizations accountable that allow this culture to exist. Well, a few things I want to clarify with what you just said. So the the football player that went on to play somewhere else, did you did he you said that they allow sexual predators into their ranks. Um, but is that because there was no civilian record when he when he was released from the military? That record um, never went anywhere because there would have been no civilian equivalent record from the military or. To be honest, I don't know how Alcorn State University pursued that. I think they were well aware of him because it was a public court martial and a public case Like he was dishonorably discharged from the Air Force. He was con a convicted sex offender in the Air Force. So when he went to Alcorn State University, there, I mean, there has to be some kind of background check, or whatever. But I, I know for a fact that in the NCAA currently, there is no law or rule stating that a convicted sex offender can't play Division One sports. And I think okay. that's also something that the NCAA needs to change because um, it's not a good culture to promote. So. All right. Thank you for clarifying. And then you also said that you don't see a lot of um, a lot of things being done about these cases at the academy. And I just wanted to clarify, because in the regular military, I believe it's the army cases are prosecuted and conviction. There's a conviction at seven percent. And I'm sort of mocking this because that is such a low number. But I just want everyone to know that while you say that not a ton is being done on the active duty side, 7%, 7% are being prosecuted. So just so everyone knows how high that number is. <laughs> yeah. And I think the a good parallel to that is you, if you compare sexual assault convictions in the civilian world compared to the military, the civilian world is drastically higher. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. Somebody, somebody uh, was quoted the other day saying the opposite. And I was like, I just don't really think that's true because he will, I was a general and he was trying to explain that how the military has more options under UCMJ for smaller things like extra duty or, you know, but those aren't really, but we're talking about the big cases, right? Like the cases that like the sexual assault, then if you're giving extra duty to somebody for sexual assault, then we have, that's another issue we need to talk about too. So I wasn't sure exactly where he was getting his data from but well, i mean um, you can just look it up on the fbi website <laughs> yeah not, yeah well then like it's also like I, I you know you can take data and you can skew it any way you want it to skew it so all right well why are while we have um while we are talking about your podcast let's have our listeners get out your phones and go to apple podcast and check out dark saber an investigative series on apple podcast and so subscribe to that. And I think, what are you on? You're on like six or seven now that's been released? Episodes? Yeah, seven, seven's been released. We're actually, we're supposed to publish. Uh, we haven't been able to publish in the past three weeks, including this week. Uh, we'll talk about that. There was a major communication security breach on Ooh. our side. Um, oh, I, think, and, I think I heard about this. Yeah, and we're, we, had, we actually have been on the quiet because we've been trying to figure out how to publish the last three episodes without violating... Uh, the privacy of those we've interviewed. That's what we were worried about was that the Academy was going to try to figure out the cadets that we were talking to and retaliate against them because uh, it is well known at the Academy that, uh, for example, the superintendent and the commandant have blocked adamdorito.com from the USAFA network. Uh, They do not want these cadets listening to the podcast. They do not want these cadets listening to the legal information and the resources that we're providing or watch my YouTube channel um, because I'm calling them out. Uh, I answer questions weekly. I do something called Sling Load Sundays on YouTube that connects to the Dark Saber Project. And I have cadets, active duty, you know, reserve guard guys ask me questions every week. And I try to answer four to five questions a week. Uh, they are trying to actively block and prevent that information from being distributed to the cadets. Uh, and like I said, the reason we haven't been able to publish, including this week either, hopefully next week, is because we found out that our communications were being tapped. Um, you know, it's it's very hard to prove how the military does that. And it's, it's very complicated, but... We, we know for a fact that our communications were tapped. And I believe that the Air Force has been trying to gain unfair advantage in the legal case. Um, and they are just trying to stop getting out, which only encourages me to keep doing it. So, yeah, congratulations on that, too, because if they took the time to tap you, then you should be proud because you're making a difference and you're stirring shit up. Right. That's uh, I hope so. I mean, I, I think that we're making a lot of progress and it's been a long 10 year fight, but I've only been more encouraged to continue what we're doing in the past year. So awesome. All right. I'm going to let you start your story. You can start wherever you want to start because I know it's a long story. So the floor is yours. Thanks. Um, well, I mean, I guess I'll just start with like where I'm from. So I was born in Poughkeepsie, New York, upstate, and I grew up in New Jersey, graduated from West Milford Township High School in Passaic County. And uh, when I was a kid or a teenager, I should say I was actually an EMT and a firefighter in my hometown and volunteered for the search and rescue team. So um, and, you know, as a kid, I was also on the Civil Air Patrol, you know, the Air Force Auxiliaries. So I, I always had a desire to serve my country. And since I was 12, I've been wearing some type of military uniform or some type of community service uniform and trying to help my neighbors. So uh, after 9-11 happened, um, which was interesting because I was on the East Coast and I was you could see it from my house. Like you could see the smoke emanating from the towers in New Jersey um, when we got out of school. And one of my cousins was actually killed in Tower 1. So I kind of took it personally, you know, and, 
you know, most people were shocked and traumatized. And I mean, the only thing that I wanted to do was go into the city and help. That's, I mean, I was what, like, I was in seventh grade at the time. And the only thing I wanted to do was like, all right, cool. Let me go grab my Civil Air Patrol you know, stuff. And we're just going to go right to the city and with a five gallon bucket and start cleaning stuff up and finding people, which probably wouldn't have been the best idea because a lot of people have gotten sick and cancer from that. But um, that's another story. So my dream was always to go to the Air Force Academy. Even my sixth grade yearbook says, you know, I want to go to the Air Force Academy. And my teachers thought I was crazy, but I wasn't the dumbest or you know, the smartest type of person in high school, but I tried really hard. I, I got a 3.9 GPA. I played all varsity sports. I was a track team captain and um, played football and I got accepted to the Air Force Academy. So in 2006, I left for basic training three days after I graduated high school. <laughs> so I didn't get much of a summer break. I graduated high school, packed one bag and then left for Colorado. And uh, when I got to the Air Force Academy, it was, man, it was a big punch in the face because one, the altitude. So you're running around everywhere and you're doing all these things and you can't breathe half the time because I'm from sea level. So that didn't work out for at least about a week. But one of the interesting things about the academy was that, you know, I thought when I went to the academy, it was going to be a lot of people like me, a lot of people who wanted to serve their country, who wanted to serve in the military, who it's been a lifelong dream to go to this so-called prestigious federal service academy. And don't get me wrong. There was a few of those, but for the most part, it was just not the culture I was expecting. It was, it was shell shock because a lot of these kids either came from privileged backgrounds. You know, I mean, I, I grew up as a pretty poor blue collar family in New Jersey who my parents didn't have any money to send me to college. And for some of these kids, the air force Academy was like their 10th option, you know, and their parents are forcing them to go because their parents are grads. And so you could see like, there was some people who really wanted to serve and were there for the right reasons. But I would say the majority of the people that I went to school with at the time, they were not there for service. They were there for themselves. And I especially saw that on the NCAA recruit athlete side. Uh, a lot of these kids were told, hey, just go to the Air Force Academy, play sports. You can go play for the NFL when you graduate. Uh, they forgot about this whole mandatory five-year service commitment thing. And it actually is very rare for kids to be able to play professional sports and subjugate their active duty required time. Well, wait, stop so for a second, because wasn't there a bill that went back and forth recently because there was for a while they could take a leave of absence, right, to play sports and then do their time. But then I think they reversed it, right, because of Tillman so, or so actually General Mattis. Um, to, and to be fair, I've met General Mattis. Me and General, General Mattis have had a conversation in person when he came out to Colorado uh, back in 2013. Very inspiring man before he became a sec def. And he agreed. He, he and I agreed on a lot of things, you know, like the purpose of you going to a military service academy is to serve your country and to serve your subordinates. It is not to play professional sports. So General Mattis put a stop to that because there was a lot of West Point Air Force and Annapolis grads trying to go play professional sports and get out of their service commitment time. So at the time, General Mattis put a ban on it and it upset a lot of people in the uh, Air Force Academy, West Point, Annapolis football circles, for sure. Uh, because it, it was there, but well, this is how we're getting all these amazing athletes. You know, if we, if we can't tell them that they can play football professionally, then they're not going to want to come here. And it's like, well, you shouldn't be recruiting people to go to a service academy to play football. You should be recruiting people to a service academy to serve their country and protect the constitution of the United States. Yeah. I'm so sympathetic. Um, but actually that just got reversed again. So uh, recently it was taken back. So because service academy applications actually went lower because of that, and interesting. The, um, yeah. And the chiefs of staff were not happy that their service academies were not getting these amazing athletes anymore. 
So General Mattis's order was reversed. And now it is open to, you know, cadets can go graduate and then go play professional sports again. He must be a little upset. He's had a lot of reversals recently. So he's on a roll. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that has been my biggest standpoint. And I I think I need to make it clear to your audiences. Like I said, I love the Air Force Academy. I love what it stands for. I love the culture and the history of our service academies. But I think in the past decade or so, they've lost their way. We are not getting the top quality officers of like Ulysses S. Grant anymore. I mean, if you read his memoirs about his time at West Point, it's like, man, I wish we could go back to then where day one, they had to take an academic test and a PT test. If they failed, they weren't even allowed to walk down the grass to get to the barracks. You know what I mean? They don't, they just don't do that anymore. The standards have changed. Um, we are not really recruiting, in my opinion, intellectual officers anymore. We're recruiting people that, to meet number standards and diversity standards and um, affirmative action standards. And I mean, let's be honest, when it comes to the military, it's in the business of killing and you need people who can make proper decisions, who are physically fit, who can actually um, execute these missions in real world and not cause a bunch of scandals, uh, which is what's been going on pretty much since the global war on terror started, whether it's money being passed in Afghanistan or Iraq or, or anything else. Um, so, but that's the problem. Like I mentioned, these are the type of people that I met um, at the Academy and some of them were there for the right reasons. Some of them were not. And you know, my friends always like to give me crap about not enlisting with them out of high school. Um, one of my best friends actually was in the 173rd Airborne Division in the Corngall Valley. So Outpost Restrepo, if people are familiar with that, he was there when that was going on. So I was very much connected with people who were fighting some of the hardest years uh, between 2006 and 2009 in Afghanistan. And it inspired me to want to pursue that type of career. But I was already at the Air Force Academy. So how was I going to do that? And I decided that I no longer wanted to be in the Air Force. I wanted to go into the Marine Corps. Um, so after my service commitment time, after sophomore year, um, I started the process of trying to cross commission, which the Air Force also didn't like. Uh, they don't like the fact that you come to their academy and now you don't want to be in the Air Force anymore. So, you know, I probably um, skinned a few knees talking to some officers about that, you know, but that's what I wanted to do. I, I wanted to go serve my country and I wanted to go over there and fight next to the guys that I thought were doing the most work. So, well, and I also feel like going from like the air force to the Marines is like the two farthest extremes. Like if you were going from the army to the Marines, maybe, but like, I could see where the air force would give you a little uh, pushback on that. They're like, really? Yeah, they weren't, they weren't happy. Um, And that's kind of like where I guess it kicked off some of the trouble I got in at the Academy. Right. And I was always the guy getting looked at or, then to be fair, was I a perfect cadet? Absolutely not. Did I do dumb college stuff when I was a cadet? Absolutely. Did I like get a water bloom launcher and hook up Capri Suns to it and start a Capri Sun war uh, between the dormitories when I was a sophomore? Absolutely. And I have no regrets on that. Right. So does that really um, work? Wait, does that really work? Yeah, it does work, do it. but I don't recommend it because the projectiles don't break as easy as water balloons. Sometimes they don't break and it actually turns into like artillery pieces. So. Ah, okay. All right. Kind of like, wasn't it the, um, not to digress, but wasn't it the uh, West point that they were, they were like doing some hazing thing and they put some, like heavy equipment in pillowcases and they hit each other with it. And there was a big case yeah. of hazing. Yeah. They put locks in their pillowcases and started a quad war. Um, and just like quad, beat the shit out yeah. of each other with yeah, heavy. It's not, yeah. yeah. It's, I don't recommend it, but I mean, that type of, let's be honest, that type of stuff goes on in the military all the time. I mean, I don't necessarily agree with it. 
I don't agree with the hazing culture that's been in the military. I mean, the Marine Corps has been guilty of this. The Navy has been guilty of this. The Army and the Air Force has been guilty in their respective types of traditions or initiations. Um, you know, even when I was at the, at the Academy, we had hall brawls as they call them as well, where, I mean, the freshmen would just get into haymaker fest fights with the senior class cadets. Um, you know, it's, like I said, it's an alpha male, very aggressive culture at, and, and some aspects and, you know, the military is a fighting culture. It really is. So I'm not saying I agree with all of those things, you know, um, but they, they do happen. Yeah. So, and plus at the academies, you're not drinking. So you have a lot of time to do a lot of other things, whatever those things tend to be. But taking the drinking out of the picture, I feel leaves you open for a lot of uh, other things to happen. So. Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of how I, one of the reasons I first got in trouble at the academy was so my, and he was actually to this day, he's still my favorite commander. So when I went from my freshman squadron of 25 to 18, we do have transfer officers from other branches of service. So my um, sophomore year commander was actually an army officer. Uh, his name is Major Richard Hubank, and now Dr. Hubank and retired and still works on these types of things. So we got just, this is before smartphones. Let's let's be honest. This is like 2007, you know, eight time frame, right? Um, Facebook was barely a thing. So back then, before this whole like meme culture that has developed, I would say recently. Uh, we would send stupid emails back and forth to each other, like just dumb, really basic memes. And we were having a, an inspection the next day. So everyone was trapped in the dorms and we were just clogging everybody's inbox. I'm talking like, you know, the guys who hit reply all. Well, imagine like 100 people hitting reply all to an email list with 4,000 people on it. Um, we basically crashed the Academy network server and myself and several other people who, to be fair, we did start this meme fight between all the classes. We got in trouble. Um, you know, as major Hugh bank likes to say, you know, give me some wall to wall counseling and gave me an LOR for, you know, and let's be, I deserved it hundred percent, you know, and I was actually supposed to go to Arizona that weekend. And I was furious that this guy made me eat those plane tickets. I mean, I'm a cadet. I don't have any money as it is. And I had to eat those plane tickets and I was pissed and to be, I was selfish. Like I wanted to go because I didn't think that it was fair that some kids got off with it at a, with a lesser punishment than I did. And my, several of my other classmates, but my attitude changed when he's like, you know, Dorito, you really want to leave? And I said, yes, sir. And he goes, come over to my house for dinner, get in my truck. And I'm like, what? So this is my first experience with true leadership in the military where this guy, I mean, he ripped me up and down in his office for a solid hour, you know, knife hands all around and I deserved it. And wait, wait, what does knife hands mean? Is that this thing? Is that, yeah, just pointing your hand and just pointing it is like three inches from your face. Like you are an idiot, you know? Okay. Just to clarify. Yeah. It's, it's a military technical military term that became famous under general Mattis. So, <laughs> Oh, okay. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. I've been out for a while. So yeah, General Mattis has been known to kill people with his just looking at people with his hands. Uh, that's the that's the rumor that we that's all know. Funny. So. That's funny. Well, wait, let, before you continue with the story, um, real quick question. So letters, LORs, do those go in your local fish or do those go in your permanent fish at academies? So they have at the academy. It's weird. It's they have something called the CPR2, Cadet Personnel Record 2. I don't know what the two is for, but whatever. And the rumor was at the academy. And what we were told at the time was that these cadet records are shredded at graduation. You know what I mean? So, cause you're not technically commissioned and you're not enlisted. 
you're like in this weird part of the UCMJ where, or the uh, Uniform Code of Military Justice, where you can't really be charged with a lot of stuff because you're a cadet, if that makes sense. So the workaround for that is that, you know, the general of the base or the superintendent will issue a direct order, right? And then if you, and the direct orders would be like the cadet disciplinary system. So these arbitrary academy rules that don't exist in the real military, they only exist at the academy. Like you can't go into cadet female rooms without the door open 45 degrees. Like that's not a real military law, but it's a cadet rule. So the only way to enforce that is the commanding general of the base would issue a direct order saying that you have to follow these rules that I just made up because I said so. And then the way they would charge you uh, with an LOR, a uh, letter of reprimand or an article 15 or anything like that is they actually are supposed to issue those punishments under the guise of you violated a direct order. And do they, do they pick their like, well, today I feel like I'm going to give an LOR and tomorrow I'm going to give UCMJ. Is it like sort of pick? It's very, or it really depends. And this is, I think the biggest issue, what I want to talk about, you know, throughout this series is that the military justice system is completely arbitrary and depends on your commander. These commanders aren't lawyers. They either like you or they don't like you. They don't distribute punishment equally or fairly. It's up to literally them. For example, Major Hugh Bank. At first, I didn't think he liked me because he screamed at me and, you know, whatever else. But he only gave me an LOR and then he counseled me, invited me over to his house for dinner. And it was the best leadership experience I have at the academy. Um, and secretly he probably thought it was really funny what you did. Probably. Absolutely. He was an infantry guy with four combat deployments before he even came to the Academy. If anyone didn't care about what happened at Yusuf, it was definitely him. Um, and, and he actually does talk about that on my podcast and I encourage people to listen to it because it's a fascinating conversation where I had no idea what the army was when I was at the air force Academy. Right. I mean, I see this guy walking around with tabs and, deployments and a rack of schools on his chest. I have no idea what any of this means. I didn't know he was like a certified badass. You know what I mean? And he did not play well with others at the Air Force Academy because most commanders at the Air Force Academy were not combat experienced. You know, they were not deployed. He actually, so he was, he had four combat deployments and then he was a, a, a commander or attack officer at West Point and then was personally selected to be the transfer office at the academy. So this guy comes into the academy with a massive amount of leadership experience and combat deployments from like the early years of Iraq and Afghanistan, like 0103 timeframe. No one at the academy had that type of experience. Not even the superintendent had that type, you know, three-star general had that type of experience. So he ruffled a few cuffs and how he handled situations because um, he says it himself, you know, he'd have these morning meetings and like, well, what's, what's Dorito doing today? He goes, well, that's my business, sir. He goes, what do you mean? He's like, he's my troop. <laughs> he goes, he's my, he's my troop. And I handled the situation and you can't tell me what to do because I'm his commander and you're not. Stay and, in your lane. <laughs> and that's a very army way of thinking, keeping things on the lowest level possible. Right. And if you can't handle something, of course you escalate it. Hugh Bank um, handled things on a lower level. And I think it's something that a lot of officers need to learn how to do versus my commander that came after him where he would immediately like call the superintendent on if I didn't have my shoes tied, you know what I mean? Or not just me, other cadets as well. He was a paperwork officer. This guy would just 
hand out Article 15s, LORs, LOCs, and put them in your cadet file and try to ruin your career before it even started. And I mean, you got to back to what I said before, these are 18 to 22 year old kids. If you aren't doing anything dumb, you're probably mentally disturbed. I mean, this is, <laughs> if you're sitting in your room quietly and obeying something all the time, I mean, I don't know what type of person you are. I mean, these are very aggressive kids that go to the academy, right? So I don't know anyone at the who has never gotten a demerit, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? All cadets get in trouble at some point. Um, but this is, like, like you said, it's an arbitrary system of punishment. The cadet disciplinary system is completely made up. It's, it's Harry Potter points. It's however the, the commander feels. You know, 50 points to, to Gryffindor, or you're going to get 50 confinements, you know? I will submit to you this, though. I do think that um, it is like that in the regular army as well. If your commander likes you, you're likely to have a lesser punish. Or if your star major likes you or whoever, you know, the UCMJ is coming from, I do think it does carry over to active duty as well. But it's probably worse at the academy. Oh, I agree with you. To be fair, I'm only speaking from my experience, right? I never served in a full-blown active duty unit where I saw this stuff, but I know it goes on because people tell me about it all the time. I just think that it starts with the academies. And I mean, this is kind of going on the type of people that are leading from the academies, right? That is what they're taught is to just paperwork and arbitrarily punish their troops. And that's the most effective way of leadership. And then they go out into the active duty army, or the Air Force and the Navy, and they do the same exact thing. All right. So I have to share my my rule of policy when I was active duty. So I just did ROTC and I was never a huge rule follower at all, but um, always knew that when you had West Point officers that were your peers, they always followed the rules. And when you're a transportation or you're in logistics and you're in Iraq or you're in wherever you at, there isn't always the opportunity to follow rules. So they would always like use me or other officers that are, were not from the academy to break the rules because it was like they they almost couldn't live with themselves um, if they broke the rules. And it was just so frustrating. But like after a while, it was just sort of like, OK, here, let me just handle this because you obviously don't have um, the balls <laughs> to handle this. Um, but it was definitely interesting that the academy guys just rule followers. And I mean, we need rule followers, but they don't make the best leaders. So that's just my thoughts. Two cents. No, I, I agree. And, and the caveat off that, and not to use some arbitrary military officer term there, <laughs> which I just did. Um, <laughs> there was, I, I will never forget, there was a conversation I had. Uh, we have these leadership sessions uh, at the academy where they have active duty officers come in and talk about real world experiences. And one of them was an Air Force Special Operations pilot, and he was an MH-53 pilot. So at the time, the Air Force still had the Super Stallion, that really big, ugly helicopter that the Marines still fly around in. And they were on a mission in Iraq, I believe. And there was troops in contact on the ground. They were getting shot at and blown up. And you know, their mission was actually to deliver whatever items they were delivering to this other base. And these guys are getting shot at and calling for help on the ground and they're army guys. And these helicopter, the main commanders blew them off. He's like, Nope, that's not our mission. You know, they call their own air support. And one of the guys in the back goes, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not leaving them down there to die. And he goes in there and he breaks formation by himself flies down there under heavy fire, getting shot at and the helicopters getting shot up and the guys are running the miniguns out the doors, trying to save these mar Marines or army soldiers that were down there. And he lands his helicopter and picks them up overweights the aircraft and takes off at 110% torque and almost breaks the helicopter and gets them out of there. And I mean, let's put it this way. This, this could have easily been operation Eagle claw 
you know, where they all died and the helicopter crashed and killed everybody. And it could have been a disaster, but um, he made the choice to take the risk and he got his ass chewed. I'm pretty, I think he got demoted. He got all these things happen, but he goes, I don't even care. You want to know why? Because I saved all of their lives. And to this day, they still come over to my house and we hang out and their wives thank me every day. And that inspired me because that's the type of officer I was. I was not, I was not the best rule follower at the Academy. And I think that's a lot of the problems I had with the officers there was I was constantly fighting um, leadership with things I didn't agree with. And was I right? No, not all the time. I'm a young, dumb 19 year old, right? I don't know everything, but I gravitated towards the major Hubanks. I gravitated towards the guys who were telling me that they broke the rules because they thought it was the right thing to do. Um, I mean, even the first medal of honor winner in the air force, from the Air Force Academy's Lance P. Sijon. Uh, Lance Sijon was a dirtbag cadet. He was on probation rank when he graduated in like 1962 or whatever it was. And then he got shot down and escaped the Hanoi Hilton like twice, was tortured to death. Um, you know, wow. that's, the type of person, that's the type of person that he was. So um, even John McCain, John McCain was like one of the worst Naval Academy graduates ever. I mean, he graduated at the bottom of his list. And you know what? He went in there, did his mission, got shot down, survived seven years of torture. You know, so um, Robin Old, same type of fighter pilot guy where they just broke the rules all the time. And, and they end up being the people that we celebrate the most in the military are the rule breakers. You know, mm -hmm. I don't hear about many Medal of Honor winners or um, Bronze Star winners or any of these you know, Silver Star winners where they come in. I followed the rules exactly, did everything I was told and everything went great. You know, you don't hear those type of stories. Well, at least one thing that is consistent about uh, I'll, I'll just say West Pointers because I was Army is that at least, you know, where they stood, at least, you know, they were going to follow the rules because then they were easy to manipulate or they were easy. And I had some really good friends that were West Pointers, so I'm not talking complete shit, but at least, you know, where they stood so that you could kind of like work, at least you could work around them. Absolutely. And, and, and let's be honest, it's not everybody, you know, not no. everybody's like that. Academy. There, there's, there's guys who thought like me who are doing great. Like a lot of them end up going the air force special operations command route, you know, the, uh, the so-called ship badge of the Academy where they just don't like following the rules and they just do whatever they want and jump out of planes and shoot stuff. I mean, that's just the type of personality. Um, and then there's also some great rule followers, right? I mean, everything goes right. And they're the ones who are, you know, making rank and not ruffling any feathers and, and things like that. So, I guess that goes into how I started working for OSI. Um, so that's interesting. So kind of what the cadets are dealing with now is, you know, Adam Dorito was given like a hundred hours of confinement sitting in his room for email wars and dumb stuff. So I got to sit in my room as my punishment, like timeout. And uh, that's what the, wait, wait, does. wait, 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 how many hours? Like seriously, a hundred. Yeah. A hundred hours. I had to sit in my room. Like, is that like when you're off, like out of, not in class and so it accumulates over days or is that like a yeah. straight out sentence? Yeah. So it's like you would serve or whatever. I got a 50, 50, Y 50 hours of confinement and every hour of confinement is two hours. So I had to sit in my room in service dress for like a hundred hours collectively. And it would start at like whatever, 7 AM on the weekend. And it would end at like, you know, 7 PM. So 12 hours. So that's like, days that's like four five six days of sitting in my room but it would only count on the weekends right so you can't sit confinements you know during class or during the week when you have military duties to do that's how they would just take away your weekend and completely ruin morale um yeah that that was their version of punishment and it was not effective it just encourages you to want to do more dumb stuff I, uh, i'm gonna be honest <laughs> it's, i'll it's, say 
Yeah. And, um, so to be fair, like I can't leave base, I can't go anywhere. And online dating was kind of a new thing back then. And that's actually what a lot of cadets were doing at the time. Even my roommate, I think we were both on this online date website at the same time. Look, Oh, I can't wait to get off these confinements. Once I'm done sitting a hundred hours in my room, I can leave base and go to Qdoba and maybe meet this girl. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And, um, so I was talking to this one individual. She said she was a 19 year old female, uh, in Colorado Springs who went to university of Colorado Springs. And I'm like, Oh, this is good. She's a non-military person. And this sounds great. We never talked on the phone. I, there was no video chat back then. It was strictly all through email on this website. Right. And then I think I went home on leave that year and we stopped talking because I can never leave base. And she was, at least this is the image I got from her. Obviously she was getting frustrated because we can never meet up or hang out. What the hell is the point of talking to you? Right. So about six months later, um, you know, we had not talked in several months or whatever it was. And I get a phone call from my commander to go to his office. And I'm like, okay, this guy already hates me. His name is Lieutenant Colonel Greg Christensen. That's his name. Um, and I will say his name because um, I have no problem calling him out. And he's in DC right now. So whoever's working with him in the Pentagon, tell him I say hello. Um, Greg Christensen, one more time. Yeah. Uh, he's at the time he was Lieutenant Colonel Gregory P. Christensen. I'm Pretty sure he's either a colonel or a general or some kind of GS civilian at this point, but he still works in the Pentagon. I know okay. that because you can you can look him up on uh, you know our email servers still. So so him and I did not get along, and he he was literally the direct opposite of Hubank. He was um, the only officer I knew who had a 17 year career in the military and had never deployed in Afghanistan or Iraq. I don't know how he pulled that off, but you know he was the master at manipulating the deployment system. Let's put it that I mean, way. I wouldn't even be proud of that. That's just not cool, especially for like those of us who have several deployments in like a couple of years, right? Like that's just not cool. I wouldn't yeah, even I like think, announce that to anybody. Yeah, I think he went to Bosnia at some point because he was a he was a linguist. That was his main job. So he uh, spoke he spoke Czech and a couple other weird languages. But this guy was able to skirt every single deployment since 9-11. And I don't know how. Like he was in Bosnia, I think back in like, you know, 98, 99 timeframe for like six months sitting in a trailer, translating Russian radio transmissions. Um, but he entirely skipped the entire global war on terror with him selecting specific assignments or his wife having kids at specific times. You know, he was just one of those guys, just one of those guys who skirted the system, didn't like violence, doesn't like shooting guns, you know, um, not the most inspiring military officer, let's put it that way. Obviously. So, so him, you know, I wanted to go to the Marines and he knew that and he hated that. Absolutely hated me for wanting to go to the Marines. He's like, well, you're just not good enough to be an Air Force officer. That's why you want to go to the Marines. I'm like, you know, coming from the guy who's never deployed in Iraq and Afghanistan in 17 years. Awesome. You know? <laughs> you're like, so, thank you. Yeah. So definitely listen to what you have to say. <laughs> so obviously you can see the conflicts of interest we had between each other, right? We did not get along. And he calls me into his office and he sits me down and he goes, you need to go talk to Air Force OSI. And I didn't know who OSI was. I'm like, what's OSI? What's OC? I'm like trying to spell it out, right? And he goes, well, go down to this building um, on this side of base and meet up with Special Agent Munson. I'm like, okay. So I go down there and I, it's really weird. I don't know if you've ever been in an OSI or a CID building, but they're like this hidden secret squirrel building. And this is like this little tiny sign that says AFOSI. And I walk down this long set of stairs into a basement <laughs> go through a little door and there's like a little glass and a uh, mirrored glass with a chair in a hallway. 
And I'm like, I'm here to meet up with Special Agent Munson. And they're like, oh, yeah, sure. Come on in. They open up this door and they bring me into an interrogation room. And I'm like, okay. So I was it one there. of those like, was it one of those like heavy metal chairs from the old yes. metal? Like, yeah. oh, yeah. That scrape Super. on the floor when you move it. <laughs> yeah, extremely uncomfortable. So I, to be fair, I still have no idea why I'm there. Right. And I, I've had experiences with law enforcement in the past, but they're always positive. I mean, as an EMT and a firefighter, I dealt with cops all the time, pulling people out of cars, getting people to the hospital, houses burning down, car accidents. So I wasn't necessarily intimidated by these guys because they were, they were plain clothes suit guys. You know, they weren't wearing uniforms or anything. And it, so it was Special Agent Munson, and he was followed by Special Agent Szymanski. And I didn't find this out till later, but OSI, CID agents, they don't give their ranks or their positions ever. They like hide that. So I found out later that Agent Munson was actually a tech sergeant, enlisted guy, and that uh, Agent Szymanski was actually a captain. Um, I found that out after I left the academy through some FOIA requests. But anyway, so they sit me down and they go, they start pulling out these pieces of paper. I'm like, okay. And they're like, oh, is, is this your email address? I'm like, uh, yeah, yep, that's my email address. And they go, uh, are these your emails? And it was actually the conversation I was having with this person on this dating website. I'm like, yeah. And they're like, are you aware that the person you were talking to was under the age of 18? And I'm like, what are you talking about? No, right? And like, I'm, I even said to them, like, do I need a lawyer? And they're like, no, 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 no. You don't need a lawyer. Like, you don't need anything. Like, that's fine. This is probably where I should not have listened to them. But like, I don't know any better. I'm 19. I have no idea what's going on. I've never dealt with the police in a negative aspect in my life. And they go, well, if you didn't know, that's that's totally fine. You know, we just wanted to be sure that, you know, that was the case. So I believe them. I believed everything that they were telling me. And I shouldn't have. And we'll talk about that later. Um, so I'm sitting there and we start talking about some other things, you know, they even said like, have you ever considered like being an OSI agent, you know, like you want to go to the Marine Corps and you're not going to be able to fly in the air force, but if you stay in the air force, like maybe that's something you should consider. And I was like, I don't know. I never thought about working for OSI or whatever else. They said, well, you seem like a pretty good guy. And this is like where you go down this rabbit hole. You'd never get out of after this, because in my opinion, there's two types of people they recruit to work for OSI or CID. One is the people that have morals that can't be changed. And they know that they're going to use your own moral fact pattern to work with them because you can't be bought, if that makes sense. And then the second type of people are who are in trouble and they're screwed and they need to work some kind of deal. So they agree to work for OSI under the disguise of I'm doing it to help myself. Um, now, I don't think I was trying to help myself because I wasn't in any trouble. I didn't get in trouble at all for talking to this person online. But that's when they asked me, like, oh, you seem like a really good guy. You, we know that you are a firefighter and EMT. And I should have stopped there and go, how the hell did they know that about me? Like, I just met these guys like five minutes ago. And they know like my entire life backstory about years ago when I was back home. But I didn't question it. And they start talking about like, oh, you know, you, you seem like the type of guy that always wants to do the right thing. You know, you always stick up for people and you stand up to your commander all the time. And I go, yeah. So they were just buttering my bread, you know, get like me to feeding, like feeding your ego. Like we just think it's yep. so cool the way you don't follow rules. <laughs> Pretty much. That's exactly what they were doing. Right. And they said, well, you know, we have a lot of problems with uh, prescription drugs going missing. Have you have you heard about anything of that going on at the academy? Like, does that ring a bell? I'm like, no, to be honest, I, I don't hang out with those people like 
I don't hang out in the jump team. I'm not in the football team. So I'm not around that stuff. They said, well, how would you, how would you like to help us out with that? You know, if you, if you happen to hear anything, would you, would you mind like emailing this email address and here's this phone number you can text message us on and, and everything else. So this is where I was recruited to be a confidential source. That's what they called them at the time. And to be honest, I was all about it because uh, I hated everyone that was in my squadron. I didn't like my commander. I didn't like the cadets that was around. And I think they played to that. They knew that about me. They knew I didn't get along with a lot of Air Force kids. And they knew I would have no problem. Uh, I mean, it sounds bad, but being a narc. You know what I mean? If I if I had any opportunity to find the kids who were stealing prescription drugs or doing stuff, I would have no problem turning them in because I didn't like them anyway. So Makes they sense. played... So they played that against me. And this is like my, I kind of had an ego about it. Now I couldn't say anything. Like I'm not a confidential source, but you know, when these kids were talking shit or doing whatever else, or my commander was telling me, I'm like, yeah, whatever, man. Like I don't report to you. You know what I mean? <laughs> Cause I didn't, cause you can't, you can't tell anybody that you work for OSI. That's that would defeat the entire purpose of you being an undercover informant. So um, they don't, they don't even tell your professors or the nope. leadership. Nope. No, no one at all. Well, this is the big problem that OSI had later on at the academy. And, you know, we'll talk about that later, Operation Gridiron. And when the superintendent found out that there was this undercover informant program of cadets taking down other cadets and officers at the academy, then he made that shit go away real quick and disbanded OSI on base and sent those off, you know, OSI agents to Kazakhstan. Literally, he sent months into Kazakhstan. Oh, really? He, he sent yeah. them packing, huh? Yep. Gone. So, I mean, OSI has been back now. I think they have a joint um, unit with Peterson now, but it, it caused a lot of problems because, and to be fair, that is the purpose of OSI. If OSI is always telling everybody who's involved and who's doing what, they were never going to get any investigations accomplished at the Academy. Um, what I didn't really know, and we'll talk about that later, is how once we started going after kids on the football team, that's when things changed. They don't necessarily care about the prescription drugs. I mean, that was kind of under the radar and they were charging kids for stealing Percocets from knee injuries and selling them on Colfax, so to speak. Right. But um, I didn't really see the negative consequences of what OSI was doing until we started investigating football players. Then everyone started to find out. And then the tune with OSI changed drastically. Um, and we'll, we'll get to that. So, so I was working as a confidential source and, it was pretty low key. It wasn't that bad. I would just send an email or a text message, ask questions to cadets. Like I wasn't going to parties or anything. And I wasn't friends with the people on the football team, but you know, I knew kids who had jump injuries who had meds, you know, and if some things were going missing, then I would report like, Hey, this guy's Percocet went missing. He reported to this. Uh, I was always in the squadron cause I was restricted. Right. So I would see cadets going in and out of rooms all the time. You're so like, it was since perfect- I'm here, since yep. I'm already yeah. here. Right. So, I mean, OSI, I thought it was like a perfect opportunity. Here's this kid who's always in the squadron. He's basically a surveillance camera, you know, because now they have surveillance cameras at the academy, but back then they didn't. So we start working on this and it was later in the spring of 2009, I believe. And I get invited to go to the Fort Collins Marathon. And I was also getting ready to go to Marine Corps officer candidate school. So interesting tidbit about the Marines is they don't care that you go to a service academy at all, you still have to go to Marine Officer Candidate School because you have to go into their program, um, which I completely agree with. I, I, even Naval Academy kids have to go to something called Leatherneck. Um, you know, the Marines are very, very um, controlling when it comes to how their officers are made, and they have to go through the same system, which I completely agree with. And you know, 
anyway, so I drive up my roommate and my next door neighbor to the Fort Collins marathon and we were invited to go to this party. So I'm going to this party and they never, they just left me there at this party. So my so-called friends uh, just bailed on me and they left me at this party and I was handed a drink by an individual. And I, let's be honest, I'm a pretty big guy. I played rugby at the time, 225 pounds, Irish Italian. I mean, I know how much alcohol I can handle, you know, and I was of age at the time I was 21. So I wasn't doing anything underage. And I was just trying to have a good time with all these college kids and have the real college experience because we don't get that at the Air Force Academy. I mean, it's, it's a very dry campus and it's zero fun, um, to be honest. So, um, I take this drink and in about 20 minutes, I don't remember the next nine hours. So something was wrong. Now I've never taken drugs in my life. Uh, minus like the four Vicodin I got when I got wisdom teeth pulled when I was 18. But other than that, I mean, I'm a really boring guy when it comes to all the fun psychedelics and stuff. So I knew something was wrong because when I woke up the next morning, my clothes were off. Um, it was very evident that I had gotten assaulted and I won't get into details, but I knew something was wrong and it was wrong. I had the worst headache in the world, like hangover times a hundred. And it just didn't feel like a normal hangover. I'm like, I didn't even drink that much. Like, how am I have such a bad hangover? It makes no sense. So I ended up finding my keys, my cell phone's dead. And I walked for about an hour and a half trying to find my car. Cause I was in some random dormitory at CSU, uh, Colorado state university. I had no idea where I was. I don't even know how I got there. So I get in my truck and then I realize what time it is. And I go, ah, oh, crap, I'm late for formation. Cause you're supposed to be back by like whatever noon at the Academy on Sundays. And now it's like 2 PM. And I had to go to a Denny's and sit down and eat something. Cause I was trying to absorb whatever was in my stomach. So I, drank like four Gatorades from the gas station and, you know, it put as much biscuits and gravy in my stomach as I could handle without throwing up. Um, and that's just from my experience as an EMT, just trying, I didn't have like, you know, activated charcoal or anything. I was just trying to try to absorb whatever was in my bloodstream and in my stomach. So I eventually make it back down to the Academy and it's a long drive. It's like two hours from like CSU down to Colorado Springs. So I get back and my commander just lights me up. Like, you're a piece of shit. You know, you're a disgrace to this Academy. You were late for formation. You didn't call anybody. My phone was dead. So I don't know what to tell you. You know, I called them eventually when I got in the truck because I had a charger in my truck. So I was able to charge the phone as I started driving. And, you know, he gave me like more confinements, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, you're like, here's now you're, now you're definitely never going out ever again. I'm like, fantastic. It's like a hundred plus, but we're just going to add on to that a hundred. Like to send me to the Slytherin house at this point, you know, and like this literally, it's, I just make the Harry Potter reference all the time. Cause that's literally what it feels like. Well, wait, you know? do you think you got GHB? I don't know. I mean, there's lots of different rape drugs out there and it's not just Rufalin, right? Or it's, uh, there's, there's a lot of different types of drugs, um, that people use in date rape drugs. I don't know what the talk of the town was back in 2009, to be honest. So it, it could have been a lot of other things. Now, I should have, what I should have done was go to the hospital and get a toxicology report done and, and get a rape kit done. But I didn't because I'm a guy and I'm embarrassed. And, you know, back then guys don't get sexually assaulted. It's not a thing. You know what I mean? And I was just trying to not cause a scene with my commander as much as I could. So I told him that I was assaulted and that's why I was late. And he's like, I don't believe you. You're a liar. You're just trying to get out of trouble. So you just kind of throw your hands up in the air and go like, well, what, what else do you want me to do? You know what I mean? Like if you're <laughs> like, why would I admit to that? Why would I want to tell you that just to save myself? Like, why would I make up that story? 
Well, that's what his assumption was. His assumption was, well, you're just saying this so you don't get in trouble and you don't have to take these extra confinements I gave you for being late for formation. And you're just trying to get out of being in more trouble. And it's like, well, how do you respond to that? Like without being unprofessional? Cause I just wanted to scream at the guy like, but you can't, you, I, I did have to maintain my composure. So this is where like, I'm a few weeks out from leaving from Marine officer candidate school. And I'm like, I'm just going to go to the Marines and I'm just going to forget about this place for like six weeks and don't even care. So I actually volunteered uh, to be the first on the list to go to Marine OCS. So out of the, out of the entire selection pool, only five of us were selected to go to Marine OCS. And I was one of them. And we had the choice of, do you want to go you know, as soon as summer period start, or do you want to go later? And, and I said, send me now, just get me out of the Air Force Academy. So I actually volunteered to skip ring dance, which is actually a really big deal at the Academy. And I was the only one willing to do it, but I didn't care to go to ring dance. So ring dance is when you get your class ring um, at the Academy. So it's a big tradition, you know, kind of a big deal. Um, I told my commander, I'm like, yeah, keep it in a box for me. I'll pick it up when I get back. He didn't like that response because he's like, how could you not care about, how could you not care about tradition and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, cause I don't want to, why would I want to hang out with a bunch of you in a tuxedo for like an evening? I don't like any of you. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so I volunteered to go to Marino CS first. Um, so I left right at, uh, right before the class of 2009 graduated. So I left in like mid-May and, uh, where I was leaving in mid-May. So I was actually getting ready to go to the airport. I was getting dropped off by the Marine officer to go to Quantico. And I get a call from the vice superintendent's office. And I'm like, what the hell? And they're like, get in my office right now. And I'm like, what? Like, I thought I was going to get yelled at because I said I didn't want to go to ring dance, you know, and my commander just called the superintendent's office. So I'm like, here we go. Like, I'm literally going to be late for my plane flight. And I I get into this colonel's office because the vice superintendent's a colonel. And he goes, we, I just got a phone call from some crazy woman who says that she's pregnant with your kid, you know? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like what? So this, this, this girl who I was assaulted by, I cut her off completely. Cause this is a couple of weeks prior, you know, that incident, right. Up at the Fort Collins marathon. And it was like April or something like that, mid April. And we haven't hadn't talked since then. And she called the vice superintendent's office and said, I'm pregnant with Cadet Dorito's kid. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? I haven't even talked to you in forever. So he goes, I don't know what's going on. Just get the hell out of my office. Go to Marine OCS and we'll deal with this when you get back. <laughs> if she's and still said, pregnant. Well, she said she was pregnant, right? Yeah, so I'm being I, sarcastic. And I go, okay, sir, roger that. So I go to Marine OCS and man, it was a kick in the face because you think like I've been in the Air Force for like almost three years at that point. I think I know things about the military. And then I went to Marine Officer Candidate School and I realized I knew nothing about the military. I didn't even know how to march, apparently. And uh, man, they laid into me first day. It was it was actually awesome. I look back on it now and I'm like, man, it was like the best experience of my life. And there was this drill sergeant. His name was Gunnery Sergeant Alessio. And I'll, I, I'll never forget his name. Actually, we, we've talked recently. Um they go down the line when you get to Marine OCS, you're standing in your barracks in the, uh, in the squad base or whatever. And they're going down the line and processing you. And you just have your trunk with all your issued Marine stuff there. And they're, they're making you tell the, the captain or the company commander what school you're going to, what's your degree and what you want to put in for either ground or aviation. Right. And they get to me, me thinking I'm funny, which I'm not. And me being a smart ass 
And I don't want to tell them I'm in the Air Force because I'm just going to get assassinated like on the spot because Marine, everyone there is either Naval Academy guys or NROTC guys, you know? And they get to me and they're like, Dorito, school. And I'm like, USAFA. And they're like, what the hell is a USAFA? <laughs> and I'm like, and I said, the University of Sciences and Fine Arts Academy. They're like, what? And like, you can see this gunnery sergeant because, I mean, in the Marine Corps, you're either dumb and strong, you know, dumb or you're stronger, right? And he's sitting there and you can see him spelling it out. He goes, U-S-A-F. Wait a minute. Like, he goes, you're in the Air Force Academy. And it was like <laughs> instantaneous. You saw all these, all these sergeant instructors sprint out of their office, grab all of my stuff and just throw it out the door and smash my stuff all over the ground. And I'm like, well, it's been been 24 hours this is gonna go this is gonna be a really long six weeks you know what i mean you're like i swear i don't even like them i tried explaining that to them and they just like push put like don't even talk just start doing push-ups and uh you know at first i don't think they they thought i wanted to be there i mean they they tried to scare the crap out of me every week they would send me to the battalion commander review board to get kicked out like it was an intimidation tactic like i don't think i thought they were trying to actually kick me out you know what i mean and i'm like i don't know what a squad is you can't yell at me for not knowing marine stuff I, we don't even shoot guns in the air force like I don't know what to tell you so because i knew nothing about tactics i knew nothing about squad patrols and the stuff we were learning at ocs and i had a real hard time for the first two weeks adapting to that lifestyle so every week they would send me to this review board with colonel mancini i'll never forget his name and he would sit me down and go tell me why you want to be a marine or i'm kicking you out of here right now you know, and he would just every week he'd sit me down in front of all these officers behind a giant desk and just scare the living daylights out of me, you know, making me think I was going to get kicked out. And one day, and I shit you not, this is probably one of the funniest things that's ever happened to me in my life. I get out of that meeting and they don't tell you whether they're going to kick you out or keep you. Right. And they get me out. And it was almost like I was getting sent to an execution chamber. <laughs> like they get, I get out the door and they just, the gunner started Alessio. They get, get in the van. And I'm like, what do you mean get in the van? They said, get in the van. And I'm like, okay. They say, grab your duffel, grab your duffel, put all your shit, your trash in there, get in the van, you're done. And I'm like, oh, really? Like, I almost felt like Butters in South Park. Like, oh man, you know, so like, they drag me down there. I get in the van and I'm not like Reagan International Airport is not close to Quantico. Like it's, it's not, you know, like a 10 minute drive. They drive all the way to the airport with me in the van in complete silence. And Gunnery Sergeant Alessio, they get to the gate and he whips out his flip phone like he got a phone call, opens it up and goes, yes, sir. Sounds good, sir. All right, we'll bring him back. And I didn't know if that phone call was real or not. What? You know what I mean? Did you have a ticket? Did they, did no. they book a ticket so for you? No, I didn't have a ticket. Like, I'm an idiot. Like, I, <laughs> I should have known better, but, like, they literally just got, threw me in a van and drove me all the way to the airport to scare me. How like, many they, people you know, were in the van besides you? No, it was just me and them. <laughs> and no, the, I mean, how many, how many of them? Oh, it was two sergeant instructors. You have the driver and then the main gunnery sergeant. Um, oh, okay. I thought maybe they all went along for, like, their entertainment purposes or something. I'm like, I, I oh, you... I don't know how they would have been able to keep a straight face. You know what I mean? Cause I look back on it now and it's hilarious because it worked right. Like I, so they bring me all the way back and they say, this is your last chance. 
if you want to be a Marine, you better prove it. Like you better prove it. And I said, so I stayed up every night reading, uh, trying to memorize the five paragraph order, all the Marine Corps doctrine books they gave us. I sat extra night shift, you know, on the night watch or fire watch shifts. I tried to get, I tried to learn as much from the prior enlisted guys as possible. I'd sit down and talk to them about tactics and understanding what the hell I was doing. Um, and they actually helped me, you know, they actually, these, these senior enlisted guys who are now going through OCS pulled me aside. They go, all right, Dorito, if you really want to be here, we'll help you just run faster, you know, like try harder than everybody else. And I think this is where they were really trying to fuck with me. So we, we got our, our six mile ruck march and it's not really a ruck march in the Marine Corps. It's running and screaming for six miles. So, um, we get in formation and we're hiking up this hill called Denang and Denang is like this horrible hill at Marino CS. It's just steep and much like being in Vietnam. That's why they call it Denang. So the gunners are in Alessio. They all wear light sticks in their pockets. Cause we started like, you know, Oh, dark 30 on these stupid marches. So you can't see anything and everyone's falling out and it's just an absolute miserable fest. And he, I see this light stick guy run up to me. He goes, Drio, are you a blue Falcon? And I'm like, okay, let's, let's just for context. I have no idea what a blue Falcon is at the time because I have been at the air force Academy for almost three years. And, and everyone's a blue Falcon, right? And, and, and I honestly thought they were talking about the Air Force Academy mascot. <laughs> oh. so, so, I, so I'm standing there running with this ruck in front of like 300 Marines, right? And this sergeant instructor was, I don't think he was, he was trying so hard not to laugh. So he's just yelling at me louder. And he's like, Dorito, are you a Blue Falcon? I'm like, I got to sergeant. And he's like, What? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely i'm a blue falcon <laughs> and you just see all these sergeant instructors that start surrounding me and just knife handing me and going like are you a blue falcon and i just go i gonna be sergeant like your dumb standard response and i kept saying it over and over again for like a solid 10 minutes and i don't know how these guys kept a straight face like they were visibly enraged like because they were trying not to laugh so they were just making it up through pure anger and they had me run satellites around that entire battalion for the rest of the ruck march. So our six mile ruck march is probably like a 10 miler for me. So I'm just like, I had to say, I'm a blue Falcon the entire time running around the entire like 800, you know, person battalion on this ruck march. And they're like, what is this idiot doing? He's running around in circles yelling, I am a blue Falcon for like two or three hours. And I finally, we get back to, I mean, I thought, I think at that point they realized like, no, he really doesn't know. He's he's a moron. Because <laughs> like, like, there's no way that he would really just do like, that. Like, yeah, there's, there's no way that he's actually being intentional with this. So. And you were probably being like serious too, right? I mean, you were probably yeah, was, like I'm taking like, this very seriously. Yeah, I was like, all right, I will run around this entire battalion and scream, I'm a blue falcon because that's what they told me to do. And so you're like, while, while we're at it, why don't you give me the guide on? Yeah, yeah, so they were like in complete disbelief. And I think it was at that point where they realized he really does want to be here. He really just doesn't know what it's like to be a Marine. He's an idiot because the air force like has brainwashed him into academyisms for, you know, almost three years. So it was kind of funny because at the end of the day, uh, the senior enlisted guy who was in my OCS class pulls me aside and goes, Dorito, do you have any idea what you just did? And I'm like, no, but I'm really tired. And I got really bad blisters now. He's like, you just ran around the entire battalion for like hours yelling, I'm a buddy fucker for like miles. And he goes, do you understand that's what blue Falcon means? And I go, 
oh no. Like I realized like what I had just done and everyone just starts laughing at me. They're like, you really are a moron. You know? <laughs> like, okay. But in your defense, how are you supposed to know that? Well, I didn't know. And I think that's when like everyone really started to help me at that point. Like they're like, you really want to be here. You're just as dumb as the rest of us crayon eaters. You know what I mean? Like, um, so they, they really, I mean, Gunner, his name is Gunnar Sergeant Schneider. I mean, he is an amazing guy. We're still friends today. And like, you know, they really helped me get through OCS, but they were really determined to see how far they could push me. So, um, like the next day, the battalion commander, Colonel Mancini said, you are now in charge of OCS. Oh no, that would scare. That would, that would even scare me. He's like, you are now the candidate company commander. And I'm no, like, Oh no. no, you do not want to know. No, please. No, not me. And it was like, it was make or break. It was like, you're either going to do very well and figure this out or you're going to fail. And we're definitely going to kick you out of OCS then. And I said, okay, let's, let's do this. And with the help of all the other Marines that were there, I mean, I actually did really well. Uh, my obstacle course times were great. My PT, I mean, I was a big guy. I was a rugby player and I came from altitude, which actually was an advantage. I mean, I'm a 220 pound guy running a three mile in 1940. And they didn't understand how that was physically possible. Um, the altitude advantage was great. And I, you know, I played sports at the Academy, so that did help. So, I mean, they thought they saw that I was trying really hard and they would still fuck with me. I mean, they'd wake me up in the middle of the night and have me low crawl in the mud, you know, outside the barracks just for fun. You know, they would, um, then they made me low crawl all the way down to the squad bay one time and of this kid. I didn't even know. And they go, what's wrong with this Marine shoes. And I'm like, or go fasters as they call them, the running shoes. I'm like, I don't know. I'm just doing push-ups covered in mud. They're like, these laces are supposed to be laced left over right. And they're, and they're right over left. And this is your fault and your failure as the candidate company commander. Cause these people don't know how to lace their shoes properly. I mean, they were just God, really, that's... really burning me to the ground, but I mean, my uh, Suli evaluation, so my small unit leadership evaluations were really high. I was in the 99 percentile. And um, I mean, they, they were just like, wow, we thought we were going to break this guy. And he actually is doing better. So I kind of realized that at that point that I operate very well in very stressful environments. Well, <laughs> like, yeah, and you're, you're not an idiot. I mean, you did get into the academy. I mean, the people that go to academies tend to have, you know... <laughs> Uh, to, to, to be honest, there are some idiots at the academy, but you know, whatever. <laughs> it doesn't surprise me that you pick up you picked up on things pretty quickly. Like that's not. Yeah. I don't think that's shocking. So when when these Marines challenged me, like pushed me to my absolute mental and physical limits, I actually did better. So unlike the lazy fair uh, leadership style at the academy, where you just kind of walk through the paces at the academy and you do some push ups and you graduate, they were like, "No, it's not good enough." you need to constantly prove yourself every day. And that's what has become ingrained into me from Marino CS was you need to earn this every day. You don't just earn it once. You don't just graduate from Marino CS and that's it. You need to earn the respect of your Marines every day. If you want to lead them in the combat. So I graduated Marino CS and to this day, it was still the best day of my life. Like um, even the guys who hated me the most, like, or I thought hated me the most, they would come up and shake my hand and go, you know, Dorito, I, I let you be my Lieutenant. We still think you're an idiot, but you know, we'd follow you kind of thing. Oh, and he, you're like, thanks. I'm like, I never thought this giant, scary man with 24 inch biceps would ever say that to me. And you know, um, <laughs> they, they wrote me letters for my cross commission, which I still have. So they all wrote me letters of recommendation to the air force Academy to cross commission after I graduated Marine OCS. And I was super motivated. I mean, 
I was 30 pounds lighter. I mean, I came back to the Academy, like 200 pounds. <laughs> oh, wow. like the yeah. So I came back to the Academy and it was actually the swine flu outbreak. So, which is another pandemic that everyone forgets about. So at the Academy, I actually couldn't get on base to get my air force uniforms. Cause I was in my Marine uniforms, my Marpats. And they're like, well, Dorito, you can't go to regular basic training because I had to go back and be cadre again because they don't, the Air Force Academy doesn't consider Marine Officer Candidate School a leadership credit, which is interesting. So I still had to go back to the Air Force Academy and teach basic training for the incoming class. Um, Makes absolutely no sense at all, but okay. It's, they really just hate the Marines, man. I mean, they just, any caveat they can, I, I was just like, can I just go to jump school for the rest of the summer and just hang out? Like, I don't want to do any Academy stuff. I'm kind of burned out with the Academy and I just need to graduate at this point, become a Marine officer. Like I don't need to do anything related to the Academy besides graduate and finish my classes. Right No. So they go, well, you can't go to regular um, basic training because of the swine flu outbreak and everybody's quarantined. So they actually sent me over to the preparatory school, which is across base. Now, I am not a preparatory school candidate. I did not graduate from USAFA prep. So I was the only direct entry person uh, to be assigned to the Air Force Academy prep school. So like I came right to the academy. I did the four-year program, not the five-year program, so to speak, right? And most of the cadre that they select for the prep school are prior preparatory school graduates, right? So I was kind of the outcast. I, I show up there and they didn't know who I was at first because I was so much skinnier and had a different uniform on. Nice. Nice. So, but I was, I'm not going to lie, man. I was like Marine Corps cracked out of my head. Like I was like super intense. I could, I was just yelling all the time. Cause that's what, what Marines do. Like that's just how they are. And I had to get reacclimated to the air force, which took a couple weeks to be honest. And I see this guy like in a basic training environment, right. And the Marines are all about standards. And I see this guy in a flight suit wearing rainbow reflective Oakley's, which are not authorized in uniform. And we're in a basic training environment. So you don't want the basics seeing, you know, people out of standards or whatever. And I like scream at this guy in a flight suit from across the terrazzo, which is the area in the middle of the Academy. And I'm like, take off those goddamn glasses. And I'm in my Marine uniform. So like, they think I'm like one of the Marine transfer officers. So, oh man. So he goes, sorry, sir. I didn't mean to do that. And as the guy gets closer, it's a Colonel. Oh shit. Oh man. You're like, I'm sorry. So yeah. So basically I had an interesting experience. I didn't start off my, um, summer with Yusafa too great by screaming at an 06 in my Marine uniform. Cause now I'm known as this asshole cadet who thinks he's a Marine running around in Marpats. Right. So, um, <laughs> but, but to be honest, it was actually a great basic training experience for me because I was very inspired to serve at that point. Like I really was all about this whole being a Lieutenant in the Marine Corps thing. And I think a lot of the basic trainings at the prep school saw that. So my flight was like the best at PT because I would run them into the ground every day and they hated me for it for like the entire, like several weeks of basic training they had. But man, at the end of it, not one person failed an Air Force PT test and they were in better shape than everybody else. And uh, they saw that I cared about them. And I ended up telling them my story about how I was sexually assaulted. Um, because I, we had like one of those leadership sessions where it's kind of like, you know, the cadets can ask you anything. And you know, it's at the end of basic training and they just want to like ask you stuff. And they said, you know, like, I think I forget what the question was exactly. But you know, what's what's some advice you could give to me when I go to the Air Force Academy next year after I finish prep school? And I said, well, you know, to be honest, uh, I have a very hard time trusting some of the leadership here. And I was I was very blunt because I was talking about my commander, and I said, you know, I was sexually assaulted, 
you know, and you know, you need to report it. You need to follow the channels. Cause I, I did filed a unrestricted report at that time. You know, it was still ongoing. So I left for Marine officer camp school and they didn't really do much until I came back and finished out this summer training period. And I just said, you need to understand what your resources are and seek help as soon as possible. Because if you don't, you're going to end up like me where your chain of command doesn't believe you and you end up in a bad place. Right. And then I, I even said, I gave them all my contact info at the Academy. I said, if, if you ever come up in a situation where you feel like you can't get out of it or you need advice, here's my phone number. Here's my email. And you know, please reach out to me, which was actually a great thing because that's how we were started working into the prep school with, with OSI. So one of the preparatory school candidates um, in the fall, I think it was like September of 2009, uh, called me and said that they had been raped and they didn't know what to do because they didn't trust their commander because they thought they were going to get like retaliated against, right? Because they were underage drinking, they were at a hotel, they shouldn't have been there. Which is very typical for victims. Those things happen a lot. You know, and they even said like, I don't know what to do. I have nowhere to go. I don't know who to call. And I remembered what you told us. So I actually called uh, OSI and I told them what was going on. And I actually left the academy in the middle of the night and picked that person up and brought them back. No questions asked. I didn't ask them what happened to them. Like, you need to go to the hospital. But I I had a victim advocate on standby for them when I brought them back because I notified the SARC office as well. And I let them take care of it. But it was it was a really bad situation where she couldn't trust anyone in her leadership chain of command because she was so afraid of them that she had to figure out a way to get back and be safe with me or somebody else and seek other resources. And, and to be fair, that's how bad the system was set up at the Academy. You know what I mean? If she had called her commander or something like that at the time, they were just like, Oh, you're going, you're going to go right to jail. Like, you know what I mean? You're getting in trouble for being assaulted basically. So once this investigation kind of started, you know, OSI had a great idea and it was how, you know, cause You can't really, as a cadet at the academy, especially a senior cadet, it's kind of hard to justify going over to the prep school to gain information because it's on the other side of base. You know what I mean? And they they consider that like fraternization or whatever because they're uh, at a different part of the academy. It's really dumb. I don't know why they have that rule, but they consider preparatory schools and cadets like between each other fraternizing, even though none of us are categorized under the UCMJ as officers or enlisted, but you know, whatever technicalities in the UCMJ we'll talk about later. So they um, send me over there under the guise of I'm setting up a CrossFit fitness program because my PT scores for my cadets when they graduated basic training were the highest. So the way we kind of manipulated it was Cadet Dorito has a great fitness program for cadets who want to go to the academy next year, you know, and they have to finish up this prep school year. So like two or three times a week, I'd go down in the mornings and do PT with them before class right? Whoever like really wanted to do it. it was all voluntary and stuff. But a lot of these kids knew about the assaults and the parties and everything were going on. And he would tell me everything. Like, like I was some kind of counselor. <laughs> so we're like running or doing pushups, doing these CrossFit circuits or whatever out in the field. And they were like, Oh, well, cadet so-and-so was here and they were bringing in pot. And then this guy had cocaine and then he raped this girl. And so I'm just gathering information. I'm just sponging it up as much as I can. And then I'd get back to my dorm and I type up a report on an email and send it over to OSI or call agent Munson or text them. And I'd give these like final reports like every week to OSI. And to be fair, that was really the extent of my involvement in that reporting. It was just, I was gathering information for OSI and then OSI would take that information and do whatever they wanted with it. Whether it was, you know, making arrests or prosecuting people or whatever. Uh, I was just, uh, sorry. 
No, go ahead. Well, so did OSI, did they give you like kind of a, um, also like a heads up list? Like these are the people we're kind of looking at, keep an eye out for this, this, and this, or did they just kind of blindly let you roam? And, no. So there, the, the kid who specifically assaulted that person, I was trying to find out what his deeper network was because he was connected to the football team. And this is where, this is where the Academy started getting involved later on, right? Was the kid who assaulted this cadet was a recruited football player, a star. Like he was one of those guys who was specifically recruited just to play football. You know what I mean? Like kind of one of those guys where they kind of grease the wheels on his SAT numbers to give it just enough so he can go play football kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And all his friends. And this kid was in the reports. I, I still think I have them where like this kid was listed on a report in September of 2009 as having sexually assaulted this person at this time, at this hotel, blah, blah, blah. And we were trying to work into all the other football player candidates, right? But I would also take other information from kids who would just tell me stuff. You know, like OSI knew, hey, we need to concentrate on this guy who assaulted this person, gain more evidence or information about him. But it just kind of opened up the door for me getting information about all these other kids too. So I pretty much had cut contact off with a lot of these cadet candidates around, I'd say September, October of 2009. And I even told OSI, I'm like, look, guys, I got you the information that you needed, you know, to do your cases. I'm really just trying to graduate and I don't want to deal with this stuff anymore. So, I mean, they would email, Hey man, do you mind like finding out, sending an email to this person and figuring out something here or whatever? And I would do that stuff in my dorm room. But for the most part, I stopped doing the CrossFit program, you know, after the first semester, because uh, second semester was like, I just want to graduate, man. I got I to gotta be here for like 100 days. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's and you're like, I don't even want to be in the Air Force anymore. I want to be a Marine. So please <laughs> let yeah. me out. So I get back from Christmas break to start off our second semester. And we have something at the Academy called Hundreds Night. Now, Hundreds Night is when you find out what base and what job you're getting. And nobody knows. It, it's all surprise, right? There's an envelope, basically, and you open up the envelope and it it's, you know, you're going to be a pilot at whatever Air Force base. Congratulations. Ta-da. Um, and my commander, man, he was like so pumped. He's like, you're not going to get your Marine commission. Like you're not getting anything. You're going to get stuck in the Air Force and you're going to have to deal with it. And um, you're like, you're a real you know, dick. Sorry. Yeah, he's, he's a super dick. He's just not a good human being. Anyway, so I get, so there was a, the Marine transfer officer at the Academy, his name was Major Clinky, and he invited myself and the other guys who went to OCS over to his house that night for dinner. And he's like, I'm not supposed to tell you guys this because it's supposed to be a surprise tomorrow, but I just want to let you know that every single one of you got cross commission approved. So we secretly had a little party at his house in the Marine Corps. We were drinking, you know, it's a beer thing. You drink black and tan. So you drink like a Guinness with a top with blue moon or whatever. It's like a Marine Corps officer tradition or whatever. And um, so we drink our beers, we hang out at his house, we talk about how awesome going to the Marine Corps is going to be and how we basically beat the Air Force system. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because there yeah. was a potential that we there was a potential we were not going to get our cross commission. Yeah, because they, they don't have you know? to give it to you, right? That's kind of like one nope. of those programs you apply for. And if you're lucky, you might. Yep. So all of us got approved, and it was an interesting time because the Air Force was actually downsizing because the sequestering was coming up in 2011, right? So uh, the Air Force was looking at a way to reduce manpower, and the Marines were actually understaffed. So was, I think that was one of the contributing reasons why we all got our cross commission approved, was because the Marines needed more people and the Air Force needed less people. So I knew what my envelope said before hundreds night. You know what I mean? Okay. And 
this is definitely my fault. We were kind of jerks about it because we knew and we didn't tell anybody except ourselves. So we all shave our heads, all of us, and we all put on our Marine uniforms and we go to the ceremony in full Marine uniform. Oh, you're such a dick too. <laughs> and, and like my commander and everyone, everyone in my class was like, you idiots, like you're not even going to get it. You're going to look really stupid when you open up that envelope and it says you're going to get stuck as like a missile in the Air Force. And we all knew what the envelope said already. And man, I, it was like a scene out of what that, what that half baked, you know, where he's at the quits his job in, in the, in the restaurant. And we open up our envelope and I'm like, Adam Dorito, United States Marine Corps. And I was just like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. You're cool. Fuck you. And, I'm out. <laughs> and fuck and, you with those glasses on. <laughs> yep. Oh man. Look, should I have done that? No. Was that the smartest thing to do? Absolutely not. But I mean, I was so happy. I was so happy that like I, uh, got my dream and I, I, I earned it. And like, I was just happy. I'm like, I just have to make it like 99 more days and just go to Quantico. Man, does my, did my commanding officer like want to rip my head off. And, and every single person in my class was like pissed at me, like in my squadron anyway. But why would they really, why would they really care if you were happy? I mean, what, what was the big deal? I mean, that's the problem with some cadets at the Academy and they really just wanted to see me be miserable. You know what I mean? Like, it, did, did I have an ego problem at that point? Absolutely. I, I will okay. be, I will be 100% honest. I was completely full of myself when I found out that I was going to the Marines and I beat the Air Force Academy system. And I only had to sit with these, what I used to say, idiots for 99 more days and walk. And that's when everything changed. I, I even, so like the normally people, uh, they party on hundreds night weekend. You know what I mean? Like they go out in the mountains and they all drink and celebrate. I literally went skiing by myself. I'm like, I don't even want to be even in any type of situation that could possibly get me in trouble. And I want to stay as far away from all of you as possible. I took myself skiing for the weekend and came back and I was like, I'm going to sit in my room and not even leave this place until we graduate. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, you're like, this was, is a day date. I'm taking myself on a day date. Yep. I was so determined to not ruffle feathers or rock the boat anymore. I just wanted to graduate, right? Well, also too, because you probably knew that the people around you were not on your side. So there was room for, there was room yeah. for human air on their part. Yep. And my roommate was great. We hung out all the time and he was, uh, you know, he's probably like my, my only friend in my squadron at the time. Cause I didn't talk to anybody else, but me and Bruce used to hang out, watch movies and play Xbox and then just do homework and, you know, not rock the boat, man. That, that was the whole point. Operation graduation. Just eye on the prize. I just, I just have to make it a few more months. Right. And that's when things changed. I can't make this up. It was like two weeks after hundreds night. And my commander calls me into his office and he goes, you are officially under investigation and you are banned from going to rugby practice. You have, you're on suicide watch. You have to sign in and out of your room, even if you want to go to the bathroom and you have to get permission from me. And I get called down to OSI the next day. And I'm like, what the hell is this all about, guys? I thought we were done, you know? And they sit me down. And the problem was I trusted them. And I, to be fair, I did have a good relationship with my two handlers. I did. Like, it wasn't a bad one. But I'm like, guys, I thought we were done talking as of, like, October. Like, what's all this shit going on, you know? And they go, your commander has placed the commander at the prep school and your commander here. So Lieutenant Colonel Rocky, Eric Rocky, uh, who is a retired, he's retired now. He's a FedEx pilot. Um, basically conspired with Lieutenant Colonel Christensen, my commander, to try to figure out 
how to prevent me from commissioning. And I was actually notified about this. So, you know, the, the people who had gotten sexually assaulted at the prep school. Mm-hmm. So I actually got an email from them, right? So backtrack slightly, right before I went down to OSI, I got an email from these people saying, hey, I just want to let you know that Colonel Rocky is calling us all into his office and asking us to say things about you to OSI. So it was like they were calling in these so-called witnesses, right, to Lieutenant Colonel Rocky's office. And they were all being told, Cadet Dorito's a bad person. He's he's in a relationship with all these people down at the prep school to say the same story before they were the investigation even started officially with OSI. And the funny thing was, is OSI was like, they're kind of between a rock and a hard place. So they were asked to perform a fraternization investigation on me. And they know that I'm one of their confidential sources. And they're just kind of like, well, we can't tell them that he that he works for us because that would reveal that he works for us, you know? So we're just going to pretend like he's fraternizing instead. Yeah. So that, well, that was kind of the conversation we had. So I get into the mirrored room again with Szymanski and, and Munson and I'm sitting there and they're like, so the prep school commander and your commander are accusing you of fraternization from like when you were over here doing your workout program and talking to cadet candidates and they didn't know about it. And all these cadet candidates now are saying that you were in a relationship with these people. And I'm like, you guys know that that's bullshit. <laughs> Like, you of you all have, people know that's bullshit. And they're like, well, you're right. But, and this is where I should have just requested a lawyer and stopped. No, we're at, we're at sex to enlisted people. It doesn't matter. Look, we'll stick up for you. Just accept non-judicial punishment. Take an article 15 for frat and you'll get 30 days of late grad max. That way we don't reveal the investigation we've been doing at the prep school. Right. If that makes sense. But are you you cut out a little bit there, but are you still um, in this in this um, agreement? Are you still going to graduate, though, according to them? According to them, yes. So OSI told me that, like, we basically can't reveal that you're in a confidential source because we're still doing these investigations on these kids. Right. But we will stick up for you and we will vouch for you. Just take the Article 15 for frat. You'll graduate and you'll walk out of this place. Right. So I like wrote my entire 11 page handwritten statement about what had gone on when I was doing these investigations in September. Um, and nowhere does it ever say I have sex with any of these candidates, you know, at all. And they go, all right, this is, this is good, but nowhere does it say you admit to fraternization. And I go, right, because I did it. So I shit you not, they take my statement out of my hand, they go leave the room and they come back with a pre-written confession that just says, did you have sex with this person? And I just go, what the hell is this? They go, look, just, admit to it, just sign the word yes, and we'll take care of the rest of this. This is where I should have requested an attorney. This is where I should Was it pre-typed up? Yes, it was pre-written. So it was just like, here, initial at the bottom of this paragraph or? Yep, yep. They said, write the word yes, initial, cross out the rest of the page. We'll take care of the rest of this with General Gould. And I go, okay. Now I should have had all of this in writing. You know, like I'm going to graduate and all this other stuff and everything else you guys told me with this coerced statement you made me sign telling me I was just going to get 30 days of late grad. And then instantaneously after that, it was like my commander's waiting outside the door of OSI already. I'm like, and I sat there and go, holy shit, this is all set up. Like, bam, then it clicked. I'm like, because I was in that interrogation room for eight hours. They bought me in, hung out. Like it was a long time. Like I got there at 4 p.m. and I didn't leave till almost like two o'clock in the morning, you know, because I wouldn't admit to it. I'm like, guys, I'm not going to admit to this. Like this is retarded. Like I didn't do this. And you guys know I didn't do this. 
And eventually when they were like, you're going to graduate, if you just sign this pre-written statement. And I did. But the second I signed the word yes on that piece of paper, everything changed. Everything changed. I was immediately like hauled out of the room by my commander. You know, he's like, you're screwed. You're done. You're never going to commission. Like, that's it for you, buddy. And I just go, yeah, cool story, bro. You know, and I, I go back to my room and uh, this is where like, the harassment just compounded on top of this over and over again. Like, uh, so I couldn't go play rugby anymore. They took me away from like the only social out that I had, which is the rugby team. And I wasn't allowed to leave my room. I was on suicide watch, you know? So what I did was, uh, for example, I went on like a ruck march by myself. Like I just put on my pack and just started hiking around the academy because I couldn't really leave the cadet area, right? And I'm like five miles out. And all of a sudden, these security forces officers come flying up the road, lights and sirens. It was like a scene out of like Dukes of Hazard, man, I swear. And they like jump out of the car and they're like, get on the ground, drop the rifle. And I'm like, uh, okay. Like, and I said, first of all, it's a rubber ducky. Uh, it's, it's, it's blue. It's, it's not a real rifle. And everybody knows that. And they're like, what are you doing with this satchel full of explosives? I'm like, that's a rucksack with a 45 pound weight in it. What are you talking about? You idiots. Right. So they go, Oh, sorry, man. And to be fair, these senior airmen were super cool. They were like, well, we got to call that. There was a, a man running in a military uniform with military <laughs> issued equipment with a satchel full of explosives towards the cadet area. And I sat there and went, no, I'm on a ruck march. I'm working out. Uh, and this backpack's full of weights and towels. And, and what like, is the oh. what is the guy like sixty years old that says the word satchel? Like who's reporting this? Well, Who see, uses that the, word? I think that was the big giveaway about how I kind of knew it was my commander who called the police on me when he was like leaving base and probably saw me hiking down the road, right? Because oh. nobody says satchel. Like what is this the, the hangover? You know what I mean? Like you know, <laughs> where he walks around with his satchel. So. <laughs> So here, here's, here's where it gets like hilarious. Like at, th at this point, I'm just making jokes about everything because I'm hanging out with these senior M and they just got back from Iraq. They're like, yeah, this is our first duty assignment off Iraq. It's kind of like a relief tour. Like being a cop at the Academy sucks, but they're like, it's better than being deployed in Afghanistan. I'm like, yeah, I guess so. So we're shooting the shit. And they, they drive me back. Like, well, I guess your rock march is over, huh, bud? And I'm like, yeah, I'm not even trying to poke the bear. So they drive <laughs> me back to the dorm. I'm like, thanks guys. Thanks for the ride. Appreciate it. And it's like, I don't know, six o'clock at night. And I get up to the dorm and I pack my shit away and then I go take a shower and I am in my room watching a movie with my roommate and like this banging is coming on the door. It's like eight o'clock. I'm like, the fuck? it's like a weekend too, right? It's like a Friday night or whatever. I'm like, what the fuck is this? So I open the door. It's the same security force cops, but now they have a dog and my commander, Lieutenant Colonel Christensen is standing there. And I go, What? You're because, like, I know that there are, but there, there are explosives in your satchel, remember? So <laughs> so the, the worst part is I felt so bad for these security forces cops because they're just sitting there like watching this lieutenant colonel light me up and scream at me about being arrested on a ruck march. I'm like, oh, I didn't get arrested. They gave me a ride back to the dorm because there was a big miscommunication about this so-called satchel full of explosives that doesn't exist, you know? And the security force guys like rolling their eyes. You're like, oh my God, this... Lieutenant Colonel just won't shut the fuck up. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, they give a bunch of E3s just like rolling their eyes. And this, I felt bad for the dog. You know, the dog's sitting there like, am I supposed to bite this guy? Like, what are we doing here? You know? So, <laughs> That's funny. So, so he goes, get in the police car. You're going for an interrogation. And I'm like, oh, this, I mean, you could just see the Jersey sarcasm coming out of my face at this point. I'm like, oh, let's do this. Oh, I'm going to really enjoy this. So, 
they drive me in the cop car and they're like, and my commander's following us. And t- my commander actually was driving around in an 87 Honda. You know what I mean? That's the, that's the car he had, he had an 87 Honda. So he's driving around this broken down car, following security forces officers to, to the, to the um, security forces um, office. So I get there and they're like, dude, we're so sorry. Like, this is so dumb. And I'm like, they're like, but he's, you know, rock, paper, rank. He's just telling us what to do and we have to do it. So now it's like 10 o'clock at night at this point, And they called the security forces commander to come back to base to do this interrogation. Right. So he's a major. So I'm sitting there with a dog in, in this big interrogation room and I'm laughing. Like, I'm just, I think this is hysterical. And he's there with the dog, the two security forces cops that were there. And then Lieutenant Colonel Christensen sitting there next to me. And then this major from security forces comes in and starts yelling at me. Like, what did you think you were doing running on a military base with military issued equipment with a satchel full of explosives? I'm like, okay, enough with the satchel stuff. I'm like, this is like, it's, <laughs> it's so blatantly obvious that Lieutenant Colonel Christensen called the police. Cause he's the guy driving around in an 87 Honda. And I'm pretty sure he's the only man left on the planet that uses the word satchel. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, so I'm being a sarcastic jerk off, you know, not the best, but the, the cops thinks it's hilarious. So like these E3s are like, like, like they're snickering behind this O5 <laughs> and this O4. And they're like, we need a statement from you. I'm like, all right, here's your statement. Um, I was working out unlike you, <laughs> you know, what I mean? like, like signed initial. And uh, I'm like, where'd you want me to do this? Run on powers Boulevard. Do you want me to go run around the civilians? Like where, of course, I'm going to be doing military training on a military base. That's the only logical place to do it. And if you go to Fort Carson, they walk around in rucksacks all the time. So I don't know what the problem is here. So they couldn't get me in trouble for that. Like it was just a bullshit situation and nothing happened. So then the next week he goes, well, you have two choices, Cadet Dorito. You either are going to go voluntarily take a mental health evaluation test, like on a computer to determine if you're psychotic or I'm going to force a command-directed evaluation, a CDE, on you. So, and to be fair, I had, a, I had a counselor after I got sexually assaulted, and I called him up, and I go, sir, what the hell is this crap? And he goes, he thinks you're crazy. I told him to leave you alone. And if you just voluntarily go take the test, like the computer test, and it comes out negative, I will tell them to stop harassing you. And I sat there. I said, okay, so if I don't take this, you're going to force me to take it anyway. <laughs> right? So... So I go and I voluntarily, I go to uh, the peak performance center or whatever the heck it is at the academy. And I go sit down, this senior airman, this girl, senior airman walks me into this room, sits me down in front of this computer. And I take this like 200 question MMPI. So an MMPI is a psychological test they use uh, for mental health or whatever. So I take the test. I go, is that it? Am I done? They say, yep, you can leave. So I leave the room. I go back to my dorm room. I get a phone call from uh, my counselor and he goes, yep, nothing's on here. You're good. Like, I'm going to call your commander right now to stop harassing you. And I say, thank you. And I even walk past his office. I'm like, you're going to leave me alone now, sir. We good. And he was like pissed because he, he like thought like this test was going to come out positive. I'm like, I'm not psychotic. I just want to be a Marine and, you know, do stuff. unlike you, you know, we, we didn't have a good relationship at this point. Let's put it that way, you know, because it just wasn't going well. So the test comes out negative, nothing happens. And um, I go to a a hearing, like this is like two weeks before graduation where they do a fact finding on this fraternization for the article 15 or whatever. And they try to determine whether you're guilty or not of the article 15 under the UCMJ. And I'm like, okay. 
And I sit there and I have all these witnesses testify. Even Major Hubank came back and testified on my behalf going like, yeah, he's fine, man. Like he's, he's not the smartest guy in the, you know, in the box of crayons, but you know, this is a big misperception, right? So even Agent Munson, Agent Munson comes in to the hearing and he goes, yes, Dorito has helped us on numerous investigations. I still believe he deserves the commission in the Air Force. He's not the perfect cadet, has made some mistakes and whatever else, right? I'm like, okay, so I even have OSI in the meeting saying they stuck up for me. Like, what's the problem here? So I get a notification of late graduation and I sign it from General Cox. So I get my Article 15 issued, just like OSI said was going to happen, right? So I stand in front of the one star. He gives me the Article 15 for fraternization and he gives me a letter saying I'm getting 30 days of late grad, just like OSI said. I'm like, cool. I'm like, it sucks. I don't get to go on leave before I commission to the Marines, but I'll take it. I'll take an extra 30 days if that's what it means. And that's when we get to graduation and I go to the graduation parade. My whole family's out there having a grand old time. And then the next day is the walking part where you actually, you know, salute the president or whatever else it is. Uh, at that time, I think it was the secretary of defense. And they tell me three hours before I'm supposed to walk across the stage and I am no longer graduating. And I go, what? My whole family's here, by the way. My grandmother almost got out of her chair and slapped Lieutenant Colonel Christensen across the face. He shut up. And she was like, and she Should've was like 87. And she was like 85 at the time, right? She's like 96 <laughs> now, right? But I mean, she, uh, I mean, she said, how could you do this to my grandson? Like, that's what she says to him. And I, I'm sitting there like trying to not have a nervous breakdown because I don't want to prove to them that I'm nuts, right? Like, you know what I mean? I just sat there straight faced and just took everything. I mean, they made me sit there and watch my class graduate with my family in the stands. It was like the most horrible thing I've ever experienced in my life. It was the most, you know, all those kids were like, we told you you weren't going to graduate. Fuck you, Dorito. Like you got what you deserve. Nah, 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 nah. Like that was every person in my squadron saying that to me. And I'm like, yeah, cool guys, whatever. So I'm like, all right. Well, there's still a chance for late grad, right? Like they didn't kick me off base yet, right? And I still had an order for 30 days of late grad. So I'm like, okay, I'll graduate in 30 days. Like I'm just going with the flow. I'm doing whatever they're telling me to. So I got assigned to build a gazebo at the flight line. That was my summer punishment. So I'm like not a cadet anymore, but I'm not a lieutenant. I'm like in this weird point of active duty where my rank doesn't exist. So I get assigned to some lieutenant colonel down at the airfield and I'm good with hand tools. So I start building this gazebo with, the other guy who was going to the Marines decided to stick it out with me. So he stayed there for my 30 day period. And he was just going to go to Quantico from there. And I thought we were, I was going to go with him. I thought we were just going to leave for TBS together, uh, the basic school in Quantico. So um, whatever, I served my punishment and general Gould calls me into his office. And after the 30 days go by and I go into his office and he sits me down and he goes like, did you learn your lesson? Yes, sir. Absolutely. And I told, I even told him like, I take responsibility for everything I did and did not do. Like if, if that's what you need me to do to move on and be an accountable officer, cause that's what officers do. I'm good with that. And he, uh, and then I go, <laughs> and I swear if this goes any other way then I'm going to, I don't care how long it takes, sir. I will spend the next 20 years of my life telling what happened here. And he goes, you're done Dorito, get out of my office. And I was escorted. So I was waiting by my dorm room and then a different set of police officers show up with another dog. And I was escorted by guys with M4s to pack up my stuff and leave base in less than three hours. I did, not have, I did not have a proper discharge. I was not given medical records. They didn't even take my cat card. They just made me sign a, a letter saying I'm banned from the Air Force Academy for seven years 
a barment letter from base and they uh, kicked me off base with armed guards and a canine unit. And that was how I got kicked out of the academy. And they took my degree in that position. Why, why do you think they chose seven years? Because I, I think it was everyone who I was associated with on those investigations would have been gone and graduated by that time. Like all the kids at the prep school and stuff. Uh, that makes complete um, sense. Um, and to be fair, we'll talk about that in your next segment, obviously, because I think this is a good probably closing point. Yes, definitely. I think we will stop here and we will give our listeners a week to digest the story that you've told so far. And we will pick up next week with part two. Thanks for listening today. Um, please check out Carry On Podcasts on Facebook and also check us out on Instagram. Don't want to miss an episode? Subscribe on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Have a show idea or a case that needs some advocacy or attention or wants to discuss some legislation? Hit me up at podcastcarryon at gmail.com. And thank you for listening today. And we will, we will be here for you next week. Thank you. Thank you.